0: This is The Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I am Pastor Joe Faldette. Today's sermon is looking at how to conquer sin from Judges 1, and we can also be found on our website at hosannafreelutheran.com, or you can check us out on YouTube if you have any questions or comments, and our YouTube page is Hosanna Free Lutheran Church. Our sermon today is from Judges 1. Verses 8 through 18, if you please rise out of honor of God's word. Judges 1. as found on page 254 in your Black Pew Bible. We're going to look at the conquest of Canaan and what we can learn from that. Judges 1, verses 8 through 18. And I read in Jesus' name. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negev, and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Hebron, sorry. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, And they defeated Sheshai and Iman and Telmai. And from there, they went against the inhabitants of Debir. And the name of Debir was formerly kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksha, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him Aksha, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Let us pray. Whoops, I actually missed (laughs) verse 18 as well. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. All right, now let's pray. Father, as we come to study your word, I ask that you would bless us and guide us, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might see and understand, Lord, and walk in your truth. Father, that you would change us, to make us more like Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there are some texts that take a lot of work to prepare a sermon for. And then there are other te- texts that just kind of preach themselves. This isn't the latter. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, as as we begin... Um, the do you guys remember us talking about the dendric view of scripture? Now, dendric means tree, and so looking at scripture or the fractal view of scripture, we talked about it a little bit in our adult Sunday school, but you know most of you weren't there um, unfortunately, but what it the fractal view of scripture or the dendric view means that scripture's like a tree, and so a tree is repeating patterns. And it's repeating patterns that then repeat at varied levels. And so we see the nation of Israel. We see the tribes of Judah. We see all of these things going on at kind of a tribal level. And then we take those at that level. And then we can learn how that applies, how that fits to us. You know, and that requires wisdom because it's, it's hard. Like, this is hard to answer the question, what does this teach me about how I interact with life and how I interact with my sin and other people's sin or how we interact with Christians and godliness? And so at all of these different levels, because life exists at different levels. You know, we have the federal level. We have the nation level. We have the state level. We have the local level. We have the city level. We have the individual level. And so at what levels then do we apply these things? And that's the dendric view of Scripture, that as we study story, that it applies, a true story has application at many different levels. And so as I was studying this, I came down to how does this apply to our lives as we interact with sin? But in reality, I could have made this, you know, how do we apply this to evangelism? Or how do we apply this truth to the conquering of a city-state? Not that we're conquering city-states at this time. I don't think any of you are planning on doing that, are you? Um, Nathaniel is. <laughs> Well, at least we got one. So, you know, how do we apply these truths into our lives? And as I'm pretty sure that all of you, to some degree, are battling sin, uh, I thought this was pretty universal. Maybe some of you have already surpassed that. You don't have to worry about that. But uh, I have to deal with this. And so this is how I applied it into my life. And that's what you guys are getting. Does that make sense? Okay, good. I was struggling with how to explain that. This isn't original with me. This is actually a way that a lot of the church fathers interpreted the Old Testament stories. And other people have interpreted this way too. They just haven't put the effort into describing what they're doing they just do it and I don't like doing that I want to describe it what are we doing we are taking what happened in the past the story the history and figuring out how that applies into our lives so to start with the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire all right What's Jerusalem? You, what do you guys know about Jerusalem? And so, if you're going to be interpreting these stories properly, you really need to know something about the geography, something about the history, you know, it's something about the area that's going on. Now, Jerusalem is placed up on a hill, it's a mountain. And all, you know, whenever you read in the book of Psalms, the song is of ascent. The songs of ascent were to be sung by the Jews as they went up to Jerusalem. And you'll hear people saying, going up to Jerusalem. Well, why? It's because it was high. It was a commanding area. And so as the men of Judah wanted to capture Judah, what's the first thing you do? You capture Canaan, the area of Canaan that was theirs, which later became Judah after they captured it and whatnot. And so in order to capture this area... They have to first capture the controlling city. That's what Jerusalem was. It had a controlling view of everything around it. It was the high city. It was the well-fortified city. It was a powerful city. And you can't just leave something like that behind you because then they can come back and they can attack your, your rear. And so the first thing you have to do is capture the controlling city. So that's what the men of Judah are doing. What? How does that apply to our lives? If you want to work, to conquer sin in your lives, you have to first capture, you have to take control of your ruling influences. You have to take care, you, ah, you have to take control of those things that rule and control you. What rules and controls you? So I, I thought through this. What's my Jerusalem? And it struck me. It's what I read. It's what I listen to. It's what I watch. And it's my friends. The people I hang out with. The people I spend time with. These are the people that ultimately have influence over my life. Over the way that I interact with this world. These are the people that do that. You know, the people that I read, the people I listen to, the things that I watch, people I watch... And the people I hang out with. And so I have to take control of those driving influences in my life. And I'm guessing that those categories are going to fit into your life too. Because they're pretty broad. You know, what do you listen to? Do you spend all of your time listening to how to get rich programs? If you spend all your time listening to how to get rich programs, your life is, your goals in your life are going to be directed by those people. You know, if you spend all your time listening to politics, I hope you don't, it's toxic, don't do it, but if you spend all your time listening to that, that's going to drive your goals, and then your goal is going to become the dominance of the Republican Party, or the dominance of the Democratic Party, and I don't know why I did that, but you know, that's going to be your goal, because that's who you're going to be listening to. And so the people that you interact with, the people in your lives, whether that's listening, reading, watching, or hanging out with, they are going to be your controlling influences. And if you want to dominate, to conquer the sin in your life, you have to come to control those influences in your life. Because those influences are the things by which you set your goals, your aims, your freedoms. Does that make sense? And so we have to conquer our Jerusalem. We have to conquer that which is the highest thing in our lives. Those things which have influence and control over us. And if we don't take control over them, they're just going to dominate us. And so then, if I leave Jerusalem behind, if I leave all of my old friends in my life, not that I actually, like, after I graduated high school, I made new friends. So, no offense to any of my old high school friends, but... You know, it just moved on. But if I left, say I had friends in my life that are toxic. You guys ever have any toxic people in your lives um, that kind of tear you down? They're always sad, depressed, talking about how bad everything is all the time. Some of you have those people in your life. If you allow them into your life, you leave them there. As you start to work to conquer the sins in your life, they're going to come and they're going to reintroduce them. They're going to reconquer. They're going to bring these bad influences back into your life. And so you have to first take control of the influences in your life in order to take control of all of the area around it, of all of the places affected. Because after the men of Judah conquered Jerusalem and set the city to the sword, or um, he struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. What does that mean? They conquered it. They destroyed it. They destroyed those sinful influences in their lives. So those things that were leading them, that had the potential to lead them astray, to reconquer the land, they destroyed it. Does that make sense? So how do we interact with the toxic people in our lives? We get them out. We get them out. They don't benefit you. You can minister to them, but you don't minister to them by bringing them into your life. You know, it's like you don't the the idea of missionary dating. This was a big theme when I was in Campus Crusade. You know, you don't do missionary dating. What's missionary dating? You got a girl or a guy they really like this non christian you got a Christian girl or guy really like this non Christian girl or guy. They think if I date him or her, usually it's him because women are more ambitious than men. Yeah, um, no, whatever. If I date him, I can bring him into Christ, you know, through dating. It's like, no, that's not the way you do it. You minister to the people that are outside. You don't bring them inside so that you can then minister there. So you you get these people out of your lives. Don't let them have the controlling influences. Don't be spending time with them. Be careful with them. Conquer those things. Take control of them. Because as you take control of Jerusalem, then you can move down into the Negev. And afterward, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negev, and in the lowland. And, and Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron, Hebron, and the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, and they defeated Sheshai and Iman and Talmai. And so as they controlled the influencing city, the ruling city, as they controlled the influences in their lives, they then were able to affect and conquer all of the cities and all of the peoples around. And so what does that mean? How do we then gain control over worry? First step, what's encouraging me to worry? What thing in my life is encouraging me that I'm actually the one that's in control of all this stuff? In order to defeat worry, I have to defeat... The influencing. I have to defeat that, and then once that's defeated, I can then attack worry itself. If we just attack the negative and leave Jerusalem there, that worry is going to come right back up. I'll just pick on worry, but you know, there's any sin, you know, swearing. If I'm trying to battle swearing and I got a bunch of buddies around me that swear all the time, and I spend the majority of my time with my buddies that swear, and I'm like, I'm going to defeat swearing, but I'm going to leave my buddies here. What's going to happen? I'm I'm going to ultimately keep swearing. I'm going to be reconquered, and so then I have to defeat Jerusalem. Then I can start working on these individual sins and start bringing that out into the rest of my life. But if we don't defeat the high one, all of these other ones are just going to be reconquered. So I was thinking about well, how do I apply this? How do I illustrate this in my own life? So I was, um, you know, we've got the YouTube program and we've got the podcast. And the, one of the frustrating things about that is on the podcast, there's no way for me to not see how many people have been listening, how many people have been listening, how many people have been subscribing and how many listens I have in general. There's no way for me to not see that. That's the first thing that pops up because you know, people are doing this for business and stuff. So they want that information. I'm doing this as a ministry, and so that's not my primary information. Like, that's not my goal. But so I see this. And so I go on there and I note that we actually sank like 30% of our subscribers over the last two weeks. And I was like, what's going on? You know, and and then I start I start worrying (laughs) and I start feeling bad. And I start becoming a little frustrated. And What's going on? And so then I was thinking about that. And the same day that I was working on this sermon, I'm like, oh, okay, God, so why am I going through this? It's so that I can illustrate this. So what's, what's the controlling factor here? I am worried and annoyed and kind of depressed that our subscriber base has shrunk on the podcast, which the podcast is just the sermons put on audio. So those those are the feelings that are there. I don't like those feelings. I don't think those are godly things. So what's going on? So then I had to ask, what's controlling that? Like, what's the ruling influence there? And the ruling influence there was that I am judging my self-worth based on how many people listen to me. Like, that's what I was doing. And I, you know, I thought... Because when things were going well, I was like, hey, I'm really reaching people. Like, I'm doing really well. And then when the subscribers go down, then the obvious next thing is, hey, I'm botching it. I am failing as a pastor. And I, I, I know, and then these things are wrong, right? So, what's all this, what's going on? What do I have to deal with? What's my Jerusalem there? What's the influence? I have to look into my life and see who is telling me that my success is based upon how many people listen to me. And then it dawned on me some of these people that I follow on Twitter have been saying that. Not outright. But that's what they've been suggesting. That your success is based upon your ability to influence others. Oh, I've got to quit following some of these people. Because they're leading me in error. They're encouraging me in this sin so then i unfollowed a bunch of people on twitter because i don't spend a lot of time on twitter but you know they've got interesting stuff and they say some really fascinating things but they're not influencing me in proper ways so i had to cut these influences out of my life because they were leading me astray not directly but they were ultimately being the influencers in my life influencing me in ways that weren't godly. Because what would happen if I had started to live my life for the sake of my podcast subscribers? <laughs> I'd become a terrible pastor. Well, I'd become a worse pastor. <laughs> you know, but that's what's going on. And so if I don't want this sin in my life, this sin of judging my self-worth based upon how many subscribers I have in my podcast, like, really? I didn't even have a podcast a year ago. <laughs> so obviously it wasn't worth anything then. But if I... Does that make sense? So this is what was going on in my life. That's what happened to me this week. And this is what I worked through on Thursday. I don't remember when I sent out the text when I finally finished the sermon. That's what I had to work through. And this is what we do. Like, who is encouraging me to do this? Who is encouraging me in this ungodliness? They're probably not doing it consciously. Who do I have to watch out for? These are the people I have to watch out for. I have to really take care. Not that they're guilty of it. Of, like, making me sin. But I'm guilty of listening to the wrong leader. Any questions? Clear as mud? How do we do that if it's people who we can't get away from? Like, say the job? Or... Yeah, that's a good question. How do we do that to the people that we can't get away from? I, You know, I think about... And when Jesus is talking in the book of Matthew and he tells them about you know, like church discipline, usually you know how do we deal with someone that 's sinning against us you know and then you confront that person and alone and then you confront that person with a group and then you confront that person with a larger group, and then finally you treat them as a sinner and a tax collector and at that stage of treating them as a sinner and a tax collector, that means that you have redefined your relationship with this person and so as I redefine my relationship with this person, I see them now as being a sinner that is a them instead of an us. And so then they they become someone that I minister to or I minister towards without letting them into my life. You know, and so, or without letting them in in an unguarded manner. So I was listening to a guy named Jonathan Pejau and he was talking about um, sacred spaces, and Jonathan Pajau as he was talking about sacred spaces, he used our your house. So, when a random person is, I don't, you know, most of you guys live in the country, anyways, but I live in town. So sometimes I have random people walk by, and I'll start engaging them because I talk to everybody, and uh, you know, I'll be in the yard and I'll start talking to this person. But this is a random stranger. I don't invite them into my house right away. You know, I don't see someone walking down the road like, hey, you want to come in for dinner? I don't know you. What would they do? They would run away. Why? Because I'm inviting them into a level of intimacy that we haven't built up yet. And so then I spent some time talking to them. We realized we have a lot in common. I say, hey, do you want to come in? We'll sit and talk a little bit more. Well, what have we done? We've built a relationship. I'm letting them further into my house. And so then we might be standing in the entryway, we might be sitting at the kitchen table, you know, but, or sitting in the living room. But as you grow in intimacy, you let people in to more and more unguarded areas. Why is the place that you walk into your house not your bedroom? Like who has a door, your front door in your bedroom? It's silly, isn't it? But that's the reality. So if my front door is my bedroom then I'm inviting people into the most intimate areas of my life right away. Like, no, we leave them, you know, and so if people are, these toxic people we can't get away from, you know, being able to get away from them is being able to shut the door on them. We can't shut the door on them. We don't let them in our bedroom. We don't let them at a kitchen table. We might keep them in the foyer or in the narthex, or I don't think houses have narthexes, houses have foyers. You know, we keep them in the entryway, in the mudroom. We keep them as far away from the, private areas of our lives as we can we might have to have them in our house but then we try to keep them in the mudroom of our emotional life does that make sense and so we don't let them into our emotional lives because that's how we keep them away you know as as well as we can good question thanks linda any other questions (laughs) Historically, they killed them. Yeah. And so Jerusalem is was the Jebusite city. And... You want to on that? Okay. Yeah, so the, the Jebusites were a people of, in Canaan. They were the descendants of Jebu, And, you know, so that's why they called the Jebusites. So they're a, a people group in Canaan. You know, kind of like, okay, the Godalians. That's where they live. <laughs> you know, and so when they attacked Jerusalem they were attacking a sinful city, a city that God had said, so the the city of Jerusalem was populated by people that God had said, there is no hope for these people. You have to remove them from the land. And that was quite a condemnation. Now God doesn't give us the right to do that, but he says that this people needs to be removed from an influencing position. They need to be removed from the city. They need to get out of your lives. You've got to get this sin out of here. Because they represent sin to a good degree. But they did kill all the people. Men, women, and children. They were called to kill everybody. Because, I don't know how much you know about Canaanite religion, but Canaanite religion wasn't just led by men, but it was also led by women. And so, remember in the book of Numbers, when... Um, it's, you know, the, oh, what's his name? The guy who's donkey talk Balaam. When Balaam was supposed to curse Israel, you guys remember that story? And then he didn't because he was afraid of God. Historically speaking, or traditionally speaking, Balaam then told the king how to get Israel cursed. And that was to send the women down there and to, you know, the cult prostitutes. So the king sent the cult prostitutes into the Israelite camp and started to entice the men away. So they ate and drank and they rose and played. While, when they rose and played with the cult prostitutes, they were engaging in the cultic religion. They were engaging in this idolatry. And so when, they, when God calls them to kill men, women, and children, he's saying, all of these people are going to corrupt you. You have to get them all out of there. And so he, when it says he put them to the edge of the sword, he killed them all. Now, do we need to kill the people in our lives? I wouldn't apply it at that level. <laughs> but I would apply it to the level that, to some degree, these people need to be dead to us. They have no, a dead person has no influence in my life. And so, I need to treat them in that manner. I need to keep them as far as I can, even out of my house, emotionally and intellectually. And see, these, the people that I was interacting with Twitter, I thought I was interacting only on an intellectual level, but it turned out they're actually interacting with me on an emotional level, too. And so I needed to keep them out. So get rid of them as far as you can. So, with all the underdeems that we had in the, the versus script today, Jerusalem is that like the, say, Minnesota and the, one of the and all the other these, are these like Odals? Or... Yeah, good question. Um, so would I consider Jerusalem to be Minnesota? No, I would, so if we think about it at a state level, I would consider Jerusalem to be Minneapolis or St. Paul, you know, or Hennepin County because that basically is what rules Minnesota. You know, if we removed Hennepin County from Minnesota, we'd have a totally different state. Um, I know some of you want that, but uh, it would be a totally different state. And so that's the ruling one and then Godal would be like the Negev, you know, or St. James. And so we are, we are controlled to a good degree by Hennepin County. Um, And then, you know, Washington, D.C. on top of Hennepin, controls Hennepin County. And so if we wanted to gain true freedom here in St. James, you know, to be truly localists, we'd have to get rid of both of those rulers that are over us because those are our Jerusalems in a political sense. And so in our lives, then, whoever we let into our lives they're the people that ultimately have influence over our lives, just like Jerusalem had influence over the Negev, even though it was up in the mountains and Negev is, you know, desert. So this is how we interpret stories. So you see, kind of why stories, tough. Um, I don't think we're going to get through all of this today, <laughs> but these are good questions, and so that's what we want. Otherwise, I just you know ramble on and roll forward. But something that I do want to get into is what happens to the person that conquers sin then? Because that's what this next story is. This next story is talking about, like, Aksha is kind of, she gets a lot of the glory, she doesn't get the glory in this, but she gets more of the face time. You hear more about her than you do about, um, oh, Othniel, the son of Kenaz. Interesting, Othniel is a judge too. I never put that together before. Later in the book of Judges, we learn a little bit about Othniel. But, um, so Othniel, so Caleb says, Caleb is the ruler of the tribe, of you know, his descendants. He's the patriarch here at this area. And Caleb says, the man who conquers kiriath Sefer, I'm gonna give to my. I'm going to give my daughter. And so the one who has control is giving an option. He's saying, the one who is able to conquer this city... He is worthy of my daughter. Now that's a big deal. Because, you know, that's, that's inheritance. That's line. That's prestige. There's a lot of things that come into this. And so, Othniel, then, is he who conquers. He who takes the responsibility to conquer sin on his own. You know, the sin in his life. And that's who we want to be. We want to be like Othniel. We want to individually conquer these sins in our lives. Because as we conquer the sins in our lives, opportunities open up to us and blessings start to come to us. And so as I remove this, you know, like my self-worth is tied to my podcast subscribers or my YouTube subscribers or even how many people come to Hosanna. That's not where my self-worth comes from. Like That's not how I judge myself. I have to take care to remove that in my own life so that I can properly define my own self-worth so that it's not based upon something that I have absolutely no control over. Because in reality, I have absolutely no control over any of you guys. (laughs) Maybe Soren. Well, not really. Then he would sleep at night. Um, (laughs) I don't have control here, and so I can't base that upon all of you. And so then I have to judge my self-worth upon something that I actually have influence over. But in order to do that, I have to remove all of these competing aspects. And I have to do that in myself. I can call others to assist me. Absolutely. We learned that last week. But I need to do this within myself. I need to fight this. And the one who fights that then opens the door to blessings, opens the door to a relationship. And that's what Aksha represents or you know in the levels she is a relationship a good relationship a solid relationship how do you get good relationships have any of you ever asked that question you look around and be like you know why is it that so many of my friends are losers you guys have probably never used those words but i've thought that at times and part of it is because i haven't been doing what judah did conquering jerusalem the part of it too then is if i'm living in sin who are the people that are going to be attracted to me it's going to be sinful people if i'm living in righteousness sinful people aren't attracted to righteous people they're kind of scared of them or jealous of them they want what they have but they don't want to they don't know how to get it so we minister to those people you know we keep them in the yard or in the mud room but we minister to those people Try to be attractive to them. But we don't let them into our lives like that. And so the one who conquers sin then is the one who gains godly, good, beneficial relationships. And that's what Aksha is here. Because um, Othniel, as he conquers the city, he now has the right, he has the promise of God, you know, of Caleb, that, God will, that Caleb will give him a beneficial relationship, a godly relationship, a good relationship. That doesn't mean that if, you know, all of your friendships will be that way. But that's the gift that conquering sin brings. And relationships are super valuable. Sorry, I'm trying to condense this a little bit. But relationships are super valuable because it's through those relationships that we get some of our greatest blessings. You know, and that's what Othniel receives then through Aksha. It's not Othniel going and getting the blessing. It's Othniel, as he conquers sin, he gains this good relationship. He gains this good, godly, bold wife. And from there, then, she brings in the springs of water. She brings in the new life. She brings in that which is necessary for them to thrive. Because if Negev, do you guys know what the Negev is? The Negev is not arable land. It's not tillable. It's rocks, it's grass, and it's dry. And so it's fine for pasture, but if you don't have springs, your flocks will die. Because there's no water. You have to start digging wells, and so you've got all of this extra work. You know, you could dig cisterns, but cisterns aren't reliable. And so then the springs, they just bring it to you. And so as, as Othniel conquered the city, he then received a wife, And that wife brought to him springs of water. And so, we as individuals, as we conquer sin, does this make sense? I hope I'm not just being confusing. We as individuals, as we conquer sin, God provides us with good relationships. And those good relationships bring into our lives the blessings that we need to thrive. Any questions? Like, that's what happens. And so if I'm not battling sin, what's going to enter into my life? Bad relationships. If I'm battling sin, what's God going to provide for me? Good relationships. If I'm striving for holiness, well, that's our, that's our call to worship. You know, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. So if I'm striving for holiness... God will bring good relationships into my life to guide my life. If I'm striving for holiness, if I'm battling sin, God will bring good people into my life, bring blessings into my life. That doesn't mean that you're going to get rich. That doesn't mean any of those things. We're not talking about blessings. I'm not talking about these pedestrian, earthly blessings. Good grief. I do why people get so fixated on that. What that means is that there's going to be holiness and righteousness and, and joy and peace, you know, I was, I was talking to Brian about this yesterday. As, our, as some bad relationships have been removed from my life, all of these good things now start coming up. Joy and peace and enjoyment and fellowship. As some of these, you know, thinking specifically about like the, some of the things around hunting and whatnot back home. As these bad relationships left. We had good things just start sprouting up simply because the bad things weren't keeping them down. I I don't want to be any more specific than that. But that's what happens. So as we conquer sin in our lives, God brings good people into our lives and then blessings arise out of that. The fruits of the Spirit, the blessings that God brings. Any questions? Does that make sense? Why is it so important for every individual to battle sin in their lives? Because if you're not, then... Flies are going to be attracted. Leeches are going to be attracted. Yuck is going to be attracted to you. But if you're striving for holiness, God will bring good relationships into your life. And those good relationships bring blessings beyond even what they initially appear. Because the cool thing about Aksha, she tells Othniel this. and um, When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. We don't know what he did. We have no idea. It's not told. I could speculate, but I'd just be guessing. Um, And she dismounted from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, give me a blessing. And so how did she bless Othniel? She just brought this with her. She went and she got it and she brought it to her husband as a gift. Like that's, like there's lessons in there about marriage too, but I don't want to get into all of those. But that's what relationships bring to us. We don't seek relationships out in order to get those blessings. But as God brings us those relationships, they bring those blessings with them. Alright. I think we're just going to be done there. <laughs> Any questions? I was... Luther had a, a list of nine, um, nine stipulations for preachers and one of them know when to end. <laughs> like a good preacher knows when to end. And so I'm going to try to practice that today. <laughs> and we'll end with two points. So if there aren't any other questions, let us close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the ability to apply these stories into our lives. Lord, and I pray that you would grant us the wisdom as we read this history. Lord, to ask the question How does this apply to me? What can I learn from this? What does this look like at my level? Or where I'm at right now? Lord, I, I thank you that you're willing to answer that. It takes time and it takes work, but we thank you that you are willing to answer. So we pray that you would bless us now as we continue to struggle through these things and to apply these things and implement these truths into our lives. Lord, that you might be glorified. Lord, and that we might experience the blessings that you desire us to have. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or comments on today's sermon, I would direct you to our YouTube page. Or you can always get a hold of me on Twitter, at Joe Faldette. Thank you for listening today. May God bless you.